You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning, church. How y'all doing this morning? My name is Tamarcus Ragland, one of the ministers here at Citizens Church, and it is my honor to be here to a fellowship over God's Word with you. Um, if you are new here, maybe it's your first time or visiting for another time, or you're watching at home, we're so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. Um, we've been in the midst of a series called Wisdom and Wonder, and this morning we're going to take a break just to um, consider, in light of Easter being in our rear view, we want to think about um, Jesus's last moments with his disciples um, after his resurrection and before his ascension, as we just read in Acts chapter 1. And so <clears throat> this morning we're going to uh, consider that and, and answer a, a question together. And not too long ago, my wife Chrissy and I, we went to California to visit a friend for his birthday. Um, and that trip had a lot of significance for us because it was the first time we traveled outside of the state together without our children um, since we've had them. And I love my children to death. Uh, they're great. I was excited for a break. Um, if I had to run to California for that trip, I would have, you know, I would have <laughs> gladly sprinted. Um, but it was, a, it was a good time, right? There was a lot of anticipation that built up around that weekend. I had been thinking about uh, just the much-needed time Chrissy and I was going to get to spend together and just get to see our friends and eat good food, and I was going to get to read some books and maybe write a book and, you know, change all the world's problems and drink good coffee and all these ideas that were probably too big to fit in a three-day weekend. Um, and we go on a trip, and it was restful. Uh, like we wanted it to be, and we get back, and probably two days go by, and I'm tired again, right? And I don't, I don't quite know what I was expecting for that three-day weekend to, to do, but uh, in some degree, there was a piece of it that I, as I was looking at it in my rear view and considering my life going back to business as usual, it felt like it had just, you know, I missed something. The week after Easter, to me, can feel like that sometimes. I don't know if you felt that or if you felt that this past week. I remember leaving a service right after afterwards. It was such a beautiful service and looking at the notifications and headlines on my phone and seeing the um, mass shootings that had been taking place across our country that weekend. Um, and not just that weekend, up until this, this point in the year, there have been 144 such occurrences in our country, and it's just April. Um, and for many, right, if we look around the globe, there is still this uh, raging war happening in Ukraine. There are still people who are suffering in many parts of the world. There are still people dealing with sickness. There are still uh, so many things that are going wrong. And for many of us, we don't have to look around the world to feel that tension, right? For many of us, Easter might have came in the midst of hardships of our own, whether it be in our relationships or in our health or financially, and the list goes on. And if that's you, if that was true for you this past weekend, maybe after a weekend like that where we are contemplating the, the, the work of our Savior on the cross, you might ask yourself, right, is God still working? Right, is it, is it almost over yet? I know Easter is real and I know that he is risen and all the things that we sing and we believe have happened. Why doesn't it feel like that right now? If that's you or if you've ever been in that place or ask those questions, you're in good company with Jesus' disciples because they too asked a similar question of Jesus. 
It had just been a few weeks after Jesus' resurrection, and they were spending some time uh, with him. But as they looked around, like many things just seemed like it went back to business as usual, right? There were, there were still people who were sick. There were still people who needed demons cast out of them. Rome was still in charge and very much in power, right? There are still people who were acting up in the synagogue. And so all of these things were still going on around them. And so they looked around and they were thinking about what was promised. And they asked Jesus a question in verse 6. He says, the disciples asked, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Or another way we might frame their question was, is our exile over yet? The disciples weren't asking a bad question when they brought this before the Lord. If you remember back in our Old Testament, they were actually thinking about the things that they had been reading. After the Assyrians had captured the northern kingdom and uh, Babylon had taken over the southern, the people of Israel had become a people in exile. They were cast out of their homeland. They were no longer present in the, the promised land that they were given, and they had been banished. And they were awaiting a Messiah who was going to come and was going to rescue them and bring them back into the land that they were promised and reestablish the kingdom that was rightfully theirs. Several Old Testament prophecies even connected the coming of the Spirit with this kind of flourishing and restoration of the people of God. In Isaiah 32, verses 15 through 17, it says, Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful Field and the fruitful field is deemed a, a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. In their minds, once their Messiah would arrive, that meant that the nation of Israel would be reestablished and would arise back in power, and understandably so, as they were walking and doing life with Jesus, they were expecting that from him. So Jesus had been crucified as he said he would. He had risen from the dead as he said he would. And now they want to know, is now the time that you are going to make all things new like you said you would? And though their exile was not coming to an end the way they were expecting it to, it was indeed coming to an end. And so Jesus' response to his disciples wasn't necessarily, no, now is not the time. And it also wasn't um, that know that that's not going to be coming anytime soon, but rather more like not the way you think it would. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Acts, describes it this way. He said, it would be easy for us to imagine that what Jesus and Luke meant at this point was something like, no, no, you're dreaming of an earthly kingdom, but I'm telling you about a heavenly one. You think that what matters is reorganizing this world, but I'm preparing you for the next one. What counts is not what happens in this world of space and time, but where you spend eternity. I'm going off to heaven, and you must tell people how they can follow me there. He says, from this point of view, the answer is no, we're not going there at all. But God's kingdom is coming in and through the work of Jesus, not by taking people away from this world, but by transforming things within this world and bringing the sphere of earth into the presence and under the rule of heaven itself. So you can say, yes, Jesus is saying, yes, I am making all things new. And yes, the completion of that newness is still to come. And that it's coming at a time that only the Father can know. But even now in the present, the newness is breaking through, like a holy disruption to the darkness through 
the gospel and through God's people. Just as Easter broke through this past weekend uh, and it tore through the refrain of darkness like a new song, God is continuing to break through the darkness through the movement of his people. In light of this, here's the question I hope to address with us this morning. It appears to be the question that Jesus redirects uh, his disciples to as he's having this conversation with them. Rather than asking when our exile will be over or our waiting will be over, what if we ask the question, what do we need while we're waiting? If we are to be a people through whom the kingdom breaks through and interrupts darkness in the world, what do we need to be a people who are found faithful in the waiting as we await his return? Jesus says it's not for you to know the time, but it is for you to know your purpose in the waiting. And there's two things Jesus comforts his disciples with in this passage. It's divine power and divine purpose. Look with me at verse 4. He said, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Jesus reminds them of the promised Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence of God with them. And this is good news for us who are still in waiting because God's indwelling presence with us while we are waiting means that waiting is not equal to abandonment. Right? God's indwelling presence means that waiting is not equal to abandonment. God has not left you alone. He has left you a helper. The Holy Spirit who is empowering you while you wait. Question is, what is that power? and What is it giving us power to do? The Spirit's role in the life of a believer is manifold, but one of the ways that the Bible talks about it in Romans 8:11 is that the same Spirit and the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead is currently at work in each one of us, empowering us to accomplish the purposes of God. In other words, you can be confident that the good work God has put before you ahead of time, according to Ephesians 2:10 you will be able to accomplish not because of some power or ability that you have on your own accord, but because of the power of the one that is working in and through you. This teaching about the Spirit wasn't new to the disciples, right? This is why Jesus says, you've heard me speak about this before. Back in John chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples that it was to their advantage that he would go away so that the helper would come. In 16.7, he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Here Jesus reveals not only the coming of the Spirit, but the ministry of the Spirit in the world, namely convicting the world of the greatest error that it can commit, not believing in him as the Christ. 
convicting the world because of the false sense of righteousness that we believe we can heap up our good works in order to appease and win the favor of a holy God, and convicting the world of the coming judgment because the enemy is already judged and all those who follow after him look forward to a judgment as well. The Spirit, you see, is already going before us, working in the lives of those around us. I spoke at a youth group uh, a few months ago, and during their lunch, the uh, youth pastor had commissioned them to go out and to share the gospel with somebody as they ate lunch. And so there was a particular group of young ladies who had gone out, and as they were on their way to the place where they were going to eat, they prayed and asked that the Lord would reveal to them who he wanted them to speak with. And so they get there, and they met a Persian couple um, who was eating at the restaurant. A little backstory on them, they come to find out they had just recently moved uh, to the States from Persia, And while they were on their way, the husband had a dream, and a man in the dream told him that he should start reading the Bible from cover to cover. And so he started reading the scriptures. His wife couldn't read English very well, so he would read it and then discuss it with her, and they would talk about what he was reading, right? All my evangelist friends in the room is like, this is the biggest alley-oop, right? Like, he's already reading the Bible. Like, all you got to do is just come in, right? The, The work's already going, And so they sit down, and he invites them over to start reading the scriptures with them. And as their uh, conversation started to come to a close, they invited them to go to church with him. And lo and behold, again, they actually lived in the same neighborhood as the young ladies in the church in which they were attending. Now, the world might look at a situation like that and say, what a coincidence, right? Like, lucky them. Who would have thought? But we know better. Right, what happened is that the same spirit that was filling those young ladies who they asked to move on their account as they went out to lunch was already presently at work in the hearts and the, in the lives of that man and that woman. Right, this is the power that God has given us, right, not to just accomplish our own agendas in life and to reach our own goals and to win fruitless quarrels, but rather God has given us power that we might accomplish his mission of salvation in the world that Jesus has initiated and is continuing to work through us and will ultimately accomplish when he comes back. King Jesus is still at work, and his game plan is that the people of God would continue the work of God through the power of God. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. And in his sovereign grace, he has chosen not to do it without us. It's a gift. And this leads us to our purpose. Right? He has purposed us to be his witnesses. For us who are still in waiting, as we said before, God's indwelling presence means that waiting doesn't mean abandonment. His spirit abides with us and is working through us to accomplish his plan of salvation. And in light of that, he has given us then a purpose in our waiting, to be witnesses bearing testimony of the one who has rescued us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. And because we have purpose, we can be confident that our time and our life now in waiting isn't pointless. You have something to do while you are here. Look at verse 8 again. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud, took him out of their sight. The power we have been given in the Spirit is ultimately to fulfill our mission as witnesses. One commentator said it this way about the disciples. They were now, as Jesus ascended, to be witnesses. 
and their definite work was to be a testimony to their Messiah. Whatever else they might become, everything was to be subordinate to the idea of personal testimony. It was to call attention to what they knew of him and to deliver his message to mankind. Christian, this means that all that you are and all that you do is given to you to be put in service of making much of Christ. There's a pastor by the name of David Hansen who who embodies this, right? He wrote a book called The Art of Pastoring. It's a really good read. And in it, he describes what pastoral ministry is to him. And really what he describes is true of any believer, right? He says that this this is the essence of Christian witness, essentially. He says that here's what pastoral ministry is for me. Every day as I go about my task as a pastor, I am a follower of Jesus. I am therefore a parable to him, a parable of him to those that I encounter. The parable of Jesus works the power and the presence of Jesus in their lives. Someone in here needs to hear this right now. I don't know who it is, but your life and your work and your toil, it matters to God. It is teeming with significance because God has given you a divine purpose. You don't have to be a pastor in order for your life to have purpose. In fact, you could take the exact words that he penned and you can fill it in with whatever applies to you. And it still is true. Like you can say every day as I go about my task as an engineer, I am a follower of Jesus. Every day as I go about my task as a barista, I am a follower of Jesus. Every day as I go about my task as a teacher, as a realtor, as an Uber driver, as a coach, as a parent, as a creative, whatever it is that you do, you are first a follower of Jesus. And therefore, that means you are a parable of Jesus to those around you. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20 says that it is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Did you hear it? In in Christ, God was already reconciling the world to himself, and he has given us, he has entrusted us with this message of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are his ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Jesus has passed the baton to us. So whatever you busy yourself with, it is an avenue to encounter the lost people around you and to give them Jesus. Don't believe the lie that your time here is in vain. One of the biggest lies the enemy can make any of us believe is that where we are right now and what we're doing right now and the season God has us in doesn't matter. Your Savior has given you purposeful work to do and has also supplied you power to carry it out. He has commissioned you in your obedience matters to the forwarding and the advancement of his kingdom. And this has been the mandate to believers ever since the beginning, right? We see this here with the disciples. It continued on as they went out and made disciples. And communities of faith have always been finding ways to take this this command and this commission that God has given us and put it in their own words, right? And we've done that in a way here at Citizens Church, and it's found in our mission statement to enjoy God, to love people, and to make disciples, Um, This year, the Phoenix Suns are number one in the Western Conference. I don't know if any of you are basketball fans. Um, And a few weeks ago, SportsCenter posted a video of the team working out after a game they had just won. Um, You know, you're supposed to leave it all on the court. So the fact that they were, like, lifting weights right after I question 
how much they actually left on the court. But anyway, they're, lift, they're lifting weights right after the game. And as the camera kind of panned to each player, they, were, they kept repeating this phrase, right, winners work. And they started to say it to one another, and they were encouraging one another with this phrase, winners work. Uh, and the athlete in me was just eating it up. Like, I was so excited, right? And we've, we've heard this kind of phrase in a number of different ways, right? Um, no pain, no gain, hard work pays off, et cetera, et cetera. So it wasn't some magic in the words, but what they had done in that phrase and what was evident in their success this year as a team was that they had found common language um, and a way of taking ownership of what that phrase meant, right? And so they were able to encourage one another and to remind each other of what their ultimate goal was as a team. Likewise, the big C church, right, believers all over the world have been given the same mandate from God. And they have the same mission to be witnesses of Christ. And all we've done in our mission statement is as a body of believer, uh, believers in this local, local place, we have given some, some language, right, some common language to this mandate so that we could take ownership of what God has called us to be as a people. And so what do we mean when we say we should enjoy God and love people and make disciples? Enjoying God does not really mean that we feel good about God or that we're always in this like constant state of happiness, but rather that we delight in him for his own sake. Right? This draws from an idea uh, from St. Augustine. He makes a distinction between things that are to be enjoyed and things that are to be used. He says things that are enjoyed is something that we hold fast to and we love for its own sake, while things that we use are something that we use to the purpose of enjoying the thing that we actually love most. And whenever we get the two confused, right, whenever we use something that we ought to love, um, he says that that's, that's an abuse of our love. And he goes on to say it is only the eternal and the unchangeable things that, we are, to, that are to be enjoyed and other things are to be used so that we might obtain the full enjoyment of those things. To enjoy God means to make him the chief aim and desire of our hearts. It is to use the things of this world and to see them as a means of enjoying God most. It is a life that is marked by worship, right? And the, the only way that we can do that is if we uh, set God as the sole uh, aim of our hearts and see that he is the only one who could truly satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. Failing to do this in the life of a believer or anyone looks like idolatry, right? To, to use God in order to get at something else that we love is idolatry. And not only is that an offense against him, but it also leaves us wanting because he is the only one who could satisfy. This is why the first question and the answer of the Westminster Confession is what is the chief end of man? Or another way of saying it is what was man made for? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And we believe here that, that having a deep and abiding love and enjoyment of God above all is critical as our mission on our mission as witnesses. And so we enjoy God. We're also called to, to love people. And loving people does not merely mean that we love people who live, uh, live, look, and think the way we do, but even those who are different than us, including our enemies. On our website, if you look under this uh, particular part of our mission, it says the mark of God's people is love, using our gifts and resources not to make our lives better, but to help our family, friends, neighbors, and even our enemies flourish. This is twofold for us, right? That we believe that there's two distinct characteristics that set the kind of Christian love that we've been commanded by our Savior um, to live out. 
It is a special love and bond that we have amongst brothers and sisters of Christ that are in the household of faith, and also this kind of countercultural, um, sacrificial love that we have even for those who we would consider our enemies. We see both of these dynamics at play in the, the book of Acts in chapter 11. Um, Peter is catching some heat from some of the Jewish believers because they're noticing that the Gentiles have also been receiving the word. And so Peter gives a defense of why he's been treating them with such equality as brothers and sisters in Christ. And when he gets to the end of his defense, this is what he writes in verse 15. He says, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he had fell upon us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord as he used to say, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to hinder the work of God? When they heard this, their objections were put to rest, and they glorified God, saying, So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Friends, unity in Christ by the power of the Spirit has power enough to break down even our cultural barriers. The people of God come in all shades, shapes, and sizes, but are given the same Spirit. And the Bible says that when they realized this, when they realized that the same Spirit that filled them was the same Spirit that was moving, even in the lives of people who were drastically different from them, it says that all of their objections were laid to rest. So when we say we love people, we are reminding one another that God has called us to love even our enemies, and so especially to love people, the people of God. Having the Spirit in common, we're able to put even our objections aside. The most important thing between any of us is the bond that we share in Christ and in the Spirit. Lastly, we we are called to make disciples, and so we hold that as our banner. And that means not merely to be immersed in Christian culture or to increase our attendance or membership even here just as a local church, but bigger than that, right, to expand the kingdom of heaven by proclaiming and imitating the king of the kingdom and teaching and inviting others to do the same. We say it this way, this is the call to push back darkness in the world, to bring about order out of the chaos We shouldn't add to the suffering and the evil on earth, but we should speak a better word and do a better deed. Our words and our actions should be a proclamation and invitation into Christ and his kingdom to come. If we think back to where we started this morning, this means that as citizens of the kingdom, God has called us to be a holy disruption, just like Easter, pointing people back to a better way of being in the world. I know we're taking a break from our Wisdom and Wonder series, but to borrow language from it, right, it is teaching people and leading people in what it means to live in God's world and God's way. It's reading the headlines along with the rest of the world, and rather than responding to them like the rest of the world, we respond like citizens of the kingdom, and we tell those around us that there's a better place to carry your fears and your anxiety. Right? It's suffering along with the rest of the world, but rather than responding to it the way the rest of the world does, we respond like citizens of the kingdom. And we tell those around us, there's a better place for you to carry your pain. It's toiling along with the rest of the world, but rather responding to it like the rest of the world, you respond like a citizen of the kingdom. And you tell those around you, there's a better place for you to find significance and meaning in your life. It's even enduring injustice like the rest of the world. 
But rather than responding to it like the rest of the world, you respond like a citizen of the kingdom and you tell those around you there's a better place to take your frustration and there's a better place to find dignity and hope. You see, we are to be a holy disruption in the darkness before the world and to speak a better word that they might also turn to the king who rescued us out of darkness. Friends, because this is true, as we said before, every part of your life matters to God. Every part of it. Every part of it is being woven together, the good and the bad, that you might bear testimony and be a witness of him to those around you. Being a citizen of the kingdom now doesn't mean that we evade the difficulties of this life, but rather we endure them differently, bearing testimony of him who's given us the strength and the ability to endure them. Maybe that sounds overwhelming to think about. And it probably should, right? In our, in our flesh, none of us have the capacity to accomplish this mission that we've been given. But this is the encouragement that we have in the helper, right? Not only have we been given the divine purpose, but we've been given divine power to carry out that purpose. And as an added grace, we don't have to do it by ourselves, right? Like you yourselves are all citizens of the kingdom. And as you look around this room, God has given you Uh, a body of believers in this local place to carry out that mission together. And so my prayer for our church this morning is that we we would be found as a faithful people in the midst of waiting, right? Like that we would carry out the mission that we've been given. And I know we won't always do it perfectly, and there's still going to be times where we cry out and ask God, oh, how long until you return? But may the refrains of our hearts still be and echo the words of the psalmist, but I have trusted in your faithful love, and my heart shall rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me graciously. As we think about those things, as we consider the power that God has given us in the spirit, the the grace he has given us in the spirit, and the, the, the beauty and the meaning and the purpose he's given us to carry out and complete his mission and salvation, will we just be moved? Will we, will we sing even now and just give him glory for what he's accomplishing in and through us? Let's pray and then sing. Father, we love you. What an honor it is, Lord, to be known by you. And even more so, Lord, to, to be loved by you and called to be your children. Lord God, and even more so to be invited into your work to be giving meaningful work to do in our our time of waiting and bearing witness of who you are and what you've accomplished in each of our lives and what we know you wish to accomplish in the lives of those around us. Lord God, would you just lift our gaze this morning? Would you open our eyes, Lord God? Would you encourage our hearts? Would your spirit begin even just to minister to us this morning? Or there's, there's not enough time to describe your goodness, but we know that um, no matter where we are this morning, maybe we're coming in and we're heavy, Lord God. Your spirit not only has given us power to complete your mission, Lord, but you also uh, are interceding on our behalf. Your word says, well, words too deep for groaning, Lord, but you know the mind of God. And so, Lord, we are, we are encouraged and thankful for the helper that you've given us, that empowers us, that allows us to carry on. Lord, as we look to you right now, as we uh, respond to you in song and in worship and praise, Lord God, would you just allow your spirit to fall fresh on us this morning? 
Oh God, will we just be reminded of what you have accomplished in our lives, Lord God. Though Easter Sunday was last week, Lord, may we never stop remembering the salvation that has been brought to us. Help us remember, Lord God, we need you, we love you, we wait for you, we can't wait for you, Lord God. See your son, Jesus Christ's name, do we do pray. Amen.